0: Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 214. So between last podcast and this podcast, I actually was on vacation, so I didn't get to really kind of work on anything, like my projects or anything. Other
1: than getting sore.
0: Yes, because I went skiing um, like five days in a row. Did you uh, ski or snowboard? Snowboard. But... Um, yeah, everything hurts, <laughs> um, but uh, one of the in the Airbnb we were in, um, there was a uh, a whole like DVD collection and so, I, you know, going through them, uh, see what, what videos they have uh, so we can watch and they had like all the James Bond movies on DVD nice. and so, of course, we started watching some of the old ones and... The topic I'm going to bring to the table today is Bond gadgets. You know how we kind of do like Star Wars tech and stuff? Oh, yeah. I think a Bond gadget ep- episode would be really fun.
1: <laughs> just just slightly more believable than the Star Wars sci-fi stuff. Slightly.
0: Or not, maybe. Or not, yeah, because sometimes they're, they're really
1: ridiculous. Because
0: <laughs> um, like we watch Goldfinger and like the giant laser. It's like... <laughs> Wait, isn't it, 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 aren't they on like an island and and he gets strapped to a table
1: and they're like going to cut him in half or something with the laser? It's
0: not an island, but yeah, he's strapped to a golden table (laughs) and the laser is designed to cut gold. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's a laser. Yes, it's a laser. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could probably tune the frequency of the laser to better cut depending on the metal, you know.
1: You know, I don't I don't know enough about um laser cutting. Um but I but my guess is you
0: just more power.
1: <laughs> just <laughs> just keep sending more power and it'll eventually do it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is true. I, I was looking into like building circuit boards a long time ago with lasers mm-hmm. and uh a normal CO two laser, like you have to pump hundreds of watts, like vaporized copper basically off the fr4 Hmm. whereas like a solid i can't remember what frequency it is but they just call them solid state lasers um you can only you can do it with like 10 watts Hmm. if it's the right frequency it's probably something to do with uh metal liking to launch electrons off of them um
1: the, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what the Greek symbol for, for, uh, but the, the work function, right? The work function is the amount of energy you, um, someone's going to get mad at me because I'm going to say this wrong, but the, uh, the amount of energy you have to put on to eject an electron is the work function? Uh, that's probably wrong. <laughs> but I don't know. Fact check me, everyone, and tell me how I'm wrong in our Slack channel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I don't, uh, if... No, you're right. The work function is the uh, minimal thermal dynamic work needed to remove an electron from a solid to a point in the vacuum. Holy
1: shit. I remembered something from college.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's probably related to that and also just like reflectivity of metal because you're hitting it, you know, with photons. So actually, you know, you know, what's funny um,
1: in uh, I'm going to. Pull this to vacuum tubes like I always do, but uh, in uh, in the high-powered big bottle vacuum tubes that are uh, pentodes, there's five elements that you connect in there. Uh, uh-huh. There's there's a, the high voltage anode, and that's the one that basically it. Okay, well, you have the cathode that boils off electrons, and you create this sea of electrons that flow in, in a vacuum, but they don't move anywhere unless you apply a potential to another plate that's some distance away. And as soon as you apply a plate, then you just have free-floating electrons in a vacuum. They They get attracted to that plate. Uh, but since they're in a vacuum and you have such high potential in there, they end up going pretty damn fast. And then when they actually strike into the plate, they have enough energy that a lot of them produce secondary emissions. So they hit the, the plate and then boil off more electrons backwards. So pentodes have an extra element inside that you actually tie to a low um, low voltage either the whatever the cathode is sitting at or a lot of times you can just ground it and that actually repels those secondary emissions back uh (laughs) and so like an entire like metal apparatus inside the tube is just there to make sure that it doesn't those electrons don't flow around and strike other things and produce weird
0: artifacts so that's that's what you're looking for
1: i guess i guess so but i can't see uh an application where that would actually be good (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, guitarists like crunchy noises. So yeah,
1: crackles and all kinds of weird shit.
0: <laughs> um, so back to James Bond. Yeah, Bond. Yeah. Um, so Stephen. Yeah, if you could have a James Bond style gadget, what would you build? Oh, it like, was yeah, okay.
1: Like, so so here's the thing. Uh, I I'm typically not a very aggressive human being just in general like mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot to get me mad it takes me uh, a lot to get me going except for on the road like if I'm if I'm in a car it takes nothing to get me mad so I can think of probably like 50 devices that would be great to have on my truck uh, <laughs> <that> would, <laughs> uh, like the, the whole oil slick thing in the back would be awesome you know like it's just like oh this this guy's hugging my ass here just I'll press a button and he spins out. (laughs) Like that kind of crap, but but I've always thought it would be. uh, This is ridiculous, but it it would always be fun to have some method to identify crappy drivers, where you could like shoot like a paintball thing and it would hit their car. And like, if you see a car going down the road where people have all marked them with a bunch of red paint, you know they're an awful. It's it's like it's like Yelp for drivers. You know, if you drive bad, your car's going to get all marked up.
0: Like (laughs) I hit them with like a UV pin. Yeah. right? That'd so, be like, um, um, like, you know, when you were a kid writing secret messages that, that, um, lemon juice would expose on paper.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Share with your friends at school. and stuff.
0: Except as UV paintball that you hit some asshole driver
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, okay. So I think it was, uh, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was, it was one of the Pierce Brosnan, uh, bonds where he's, he's in his car and he's driving it remote control in the back seat and he's like laying down as he's getting shot and his his tires get shot oh, out and then he golden just press, was that gold okay, yeah, 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 night. okay yeah yeah yeah. he presses a button and his tires reinflate. that would be a legit like that's super practical though you know <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know that one that one's good I see you see i'm of the age that uh Goldeneye was my Bond. I mean, Pierce Brosnan was my Bond. Like when when someone yeah. says Bond, that's what comes to mind. Because that's, gosh, when did Goldeneye come out? That was ninety
0: eight. Uh, my bad. It's actually it was Tomorrow Never Dies was the one with the car. Was it okay? I I uh, uh Goldeneye is the one with the tank, if I recall.
1: Yeah, Goldeneye is yes.
0: Where he's driving around in the tank. Um, yeah, tank scene. Yep.
1: And 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 also Pierce Brosnan is my bond. It's 1997. Is uh what it looks like. Uh but um uh he's he's my bond because of the Nintendo 64 game cuz I dumped unbelievable <laughs> amounts
0: of hours into that game. <laughs> so I'm, I'm scrubbing through this tomorrow, tomorrow never dies uh movie I guess on YouTube well seen on on YouTube and it's like, the controller is supposed to look like a cell phone, but it, like, opens up, like, because it's, it's, you know, what was it, uh, late 90s. Oh, wait, um, wait, I'm
1: sorry. The video game was 97. The movie was 95.
0: Dang. Right. Um, but it lo- it's supposed to look like a brick cell phone, right? Right. And then you open it up, and then it's got a a, a trackpad, like you would have on a laptop, and then a screen where, where the car is going, right? And a couple yeah. buttons. The funny thing is, nowadays, if you were doing this, you would just use a smartphone, <laughs> and you would just have your finger on you know, on the touchscreen. Right. I was really hoping it would be like a smartphone, but it's kind of weird. It's like a brick phone that's not really a brick phone. Hmm. Good times. So you you would do car gadgets.
1: Uh, car gadgets for sure. Well, okay. Also, the laser in the wristwatch is pretty legit.
0: That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. I always wondered um, if you could actually... Is, that's like the lightsaber in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I wonder... I, that thing must have a hell of a battery pack. <laughs> <laughs> that has... Um, the bad guy... What's his name? He he played uh, Boromir in in uh, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Sean, Sean Bean, right? I think that's his name. I like hmm. that
0: actor. Well, maybe we'll you'll, uh, have a... Because you know we do once a year, we do a Star Wars episode. Maybe we should do a a Bond a, a Bond special. episode, like during the summer or something.
1: You know, uh, I can't remember where it is, but there's a uh, there's a museum of like spy gadgets and stuff. We should go visit that and then get inspiration for a bunch of
0: stuff. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So wait,
1: so you asked me what 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 is your your
0: gadget that you would do? The gadget I would do is, I really like the. Uh, like all the weird gadgets from like back in the Sean Connery days. Um I can't remember what was the one from um Oh man. I can't remember. Well, I can't, I came up with this this uh topic like three days ago and I'm like, oh yes, it would be this one. Um <laughs> oh it would be there's a uh it's in Diamond is it Diamonds or Forever. And there's a really yeah, Diamonds are forever and it, there's a really um goofy scene where sean connery is like escaping from the like evil lair facility in like a rover he finds like a like a like a moon rover like there's like a moon set underground that he like (laughs) crashes into okay and so the the rover is really goofy looking um i think i would want to build all the goofy like vehicles and stuff in
1: <laughs> sorry, I just saw a picture I forgot. I forgot he has a crocodile submarine in octopusy. Yes. <laughs> yes. So
0: good. So all the vehicles, the goofy vehicles that he that he uh always finds himself using. Oh, they have a uh, Honda three wheelers in that movie as well. Really? Yeah. They all happen to explode on contact as well.
1: As does everything in a Bond movie. I'm just looking at like random Bond gadgets now. <laughs> you got me yeah. I'm just it's <laughs> like, the same thing. Yeah, what's <laughs> what kind of stuff is it? There? Yeah, there's the um uh the boom box that has like a shotgun in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think earlier in Diamonds Are Forever Two, I can't remember what it was, but Bond has like it's like a mouse trap where he would normally put his gun, you know, in his jacket. Yeah. And so someone goes goes to like get his gun from his jacket, reaches in and it's like it gets slapped with a mousetrap on his fingers. That
1: sounds like something from Naked Gun.
0: Yeah, or our um um Austin Powers. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh man, there's a Wikipedia page for a list of Bond gadgets by era. So like a whole Bond gadget website. Oh, it's just the Wikipedia page. <laughs> Oh, that's right thunderball has uh jet packs.
1: yep yep my uh my roommate in college got all of the bond movies one i don't know one time and and he, he spent like three weeks just watching everything james bond it's like oh my god dude <laughs> he also got all of um johnny cash's his entire discography which is over like 1500 songs and he listened to them sequentially it was Insane. It was like days and days of Johnny Cash.
0: They just call it the pocket snap trap. Apparently, it is a gadget. Interesting. Really? Hmm. Yeah, kind of low, low, low. uh No electronics needed on that one.
1: Yeah, a little low tech, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's
1: get off so that yeah, topic. let's let's <laughs> plan that. That would be that would be really fun to do. I, I, we, we should get a guest on to talk uh, spy gadgets with us. Yes. Yeah. If anyone knows an interesting spy gadget guest, or actually, if anyone knows anyone who's actually designed legit spy gadgets, that would be really cool.
0: That would be cool. And they can actually talk about it. Yeah.
1: And we can make up goofy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Cool.
0: So, So, what have you been up to, Steven? uh,
1: Not skiing that's that's one thing i've been doing uh so I've, I've got a handful of stuff uh so i got back into doing simulation so i got another simulation of the week uh this one is actually kind of fun because um the for the past couple simulations i've done have been sort of like utilities or like chunks of circuits and this mm-hmm. one is like a legit circuit that you can uh, simulate and find it. Uh, the Behringer Model D is a copy of a Moog synthesizer out there. And uh, I was just cruising through the internet uh, a few weeks ago and found the actual schematic for the Behringer Model D available. And so I was like, oh, that's super cool because the Model D is like a really classic synthesizer out there uh, that has some really kind of unique characteristics about it. And it's like, it's like analog man's analog, like the, it's like the the like the <laughs> deepest level of analog you can go, kind of stuff. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. I want to see if LT Spice will actually do it, uh, because there's some really really unique stuff in there. There's there's op amps. There's exponentiation in terms of like a voltage to exponential current converter. There's constant current capacitors in it. There's discrete transistor op amps in it there's discrete transistor comparators in it and it all has to function together to get your correct output so i i plugged it all in and sure as hell it actually crashed it (laughs) no no so okay here's the thing lt spice uh i was i was always kind of against lt spice because i think that the use the user interface is just unbelievably clunky and i just can't stand the user interface uh so i've always used other spice programs but then finally one day when i was like i'm gonna get over the crappy user interface LT spice has crashed on me once um and crashes in like said like oh i can't do this simulation this is too much for me to think about whereas pspice it's been my experience that the user interface is a lot nicer, but you have to like really, really ask it nicely to do simulations because it'll constantly just be like, "Oh, I didn't converge. I don't know what to do. Tell me how to live my life," and uh, it it gets really <laughs> annoying. But LT Spice is super no- Like I guarantee you that just plugging in values and dropping transistors into P Spice that this oscillator would not have simulated in P Spice without a lot of extra work the very first time i click run in lt spice it just worked Hmm. and i got something that is pretty much exactly what i would expect the output of this circuit to be uh so if you if you want to learn some really cool analog stuff stuff that'll make you scratch your head as in like why the hell is this transistor here or why are they doing this and like oh my god what's going on like visit my github and check out the uh, LT Spice simulation section, I've put both the simulation, but also the uh, schematic, the PDF version of the Behringer Model D schematic up there. So you can kind of follow along with it. There's a couple of things. Like if you want to look at different waveforms, you have to, There, there's not a way that I can connect it for you. So you, like, if you want to look at a triangle out, output, just look at the schematic and see where the switches connect wires and then do that in the schematic. And if you want to look at a pulse, do that and it'll Mm. work out. Um, I wish I could have, like, a legitimate switch in LT Spice, but it's not going to work out too well. Uh, But, but yeah, it's super cool to have it do all of of those really unique characteristics where you're kind of playing with the edge cases of transistors, especially doing, like, differential pairs and uh, the um, voltage-to-current conversion. So, like, one of the main... Aspects of a sawtooth core oscillator is the fact that you have a constant current that you plug into a capacitor um, or you're pulling from a capacitor. And the uh, a general equation for a capacitor's current is I is equal to C times dV/dt, where dV/dt is a voltage gradient, you know, change in voltage over change in time. So it's in this equation, there's sort of three elements current, capacitance, and then a change in voltage divided by a change in time. So your capacitance is constant because that's just the capacitance value. If you pull a constant current from it, then you have I is equal to C dv dt, where I and C are both constants. Therefore, dv dt is a constant, right? So the change in voltage over a change in time is constant. Therefore, you can get a linear slope. And as long as you can handle that linear slope and reset it, then that's how you get a sawtooth core. Uh, So it's kind of cool to see the simulation handle that so well um, without, without really going off the rails and not converging and things like that. Especially at the point when with a sawtooth wave, you know, you have a linear slope. And then eventually at some point, it has to transition from that linear slope very, very quickly to some other voltage that's usually the point at which simulation software goes hey i'm fine with everything going nice and slow and linear but as soon as you want me to you know jump and go into like really fast traveling signals it starts to freak out well yeah like, it's
0: in in theory it's a you know infinite change right
1: in theory yeah but uh actually if you zoom in on it like it's it can't be of course so no 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 how, but... how does the simulation handle it can't be you know yeah um so yeah that's that's really fun and the thing that's really kind of weird about it so the model D I I don't remember what year it was designed but it was a long time ago uh so the the entire output of it is just a network of transistors doing op ampy things uh so it looks like if you if you go to like the data sheet of an op amp and you know how sometimes they have the internal diagram and you see all those transistors there and you're like you could sit there and analyze it or you could just buy an op amp and use it yeah Uh, yeah. this is like implementing the the internals of an op amp in a discrete way so so if you want to really really kind of dive into that analog stuff go check this out it's really kind of cool the first time i saw it which was a handful of years ago i was like what the hell are they trying to do there and then i started taking it one transistor at a time and saying like what is this one doing and what is this one doing and the funny thing is, you could accomplish all of it with just op amps. You don't like it doesn't need to be discrete, but this is like classic. So they they you know uh, for was it at one point in time an era it was where, it was done that way
0: for a reason. I don't know why. Well, yeah, Well, was it designed an era with op amps, or could they just not get the op amps they needed at the cost they needed? Uh, I'm I'm sure there was a lot of reasons
1: behind it. Uh, probably what it ended up boiling down to is off-amps were probably more expensive than transistors. And this is there's a lot of really novel solutions with the transistors in this situation. Uh, so I, I bet you it was cheaper to do the transistor implementation, especially knowing um, Bob Moog was the guy who designed this circuit, and one of his. Uh, I'm butchering this, and this is a huge paraphrase here, but one of his sayings was, uh, you know, an engineer can design something, but a good engineer can do it for pennies. And and I think that was one of his things. Like, yeah, you can coerce a bunch of op amps to accomplish something, but can you make two transistors do the same thing that you would normally take five op amps to do, you know, if you exploit their capabilities, so.
0: Yeah, I guess if you're only using a op amp in one mode or one way you know you might not need all the circuitry that's in there
1: yeah absolutely uh and and a lot of times a single transistor will just do multiple things you know you can you can you depending on how you bias them you can set them up to do more than what you just think they're not just switches or just amplifiers mm-hmm. you know? and um you know, another thing that's, that's it's not reflected in the schematic, but it's pretty interesting. This Behringer Model D uses a, a specific IC that has seven transistors inside of it. It's like an SOIC14 that has seven trans. No, it's probably bigger than that. I can't remember how many pins, but it has seven transistors in it. And um, they use those in really unique positions. And the reason why is because they're all on the same silicon die. And they're all really, really close to each other, so they all vary in temperature in the same way. So you don't get huge variations from using discrete transistors. Um, well, I mean, they are discrete, but just their proximity and their construction is their next-door neighbors, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. When, and when they got um, made in the on the masks, they are right next to each other as well. Right,
1: right. So their variation is very, very close. Yes. Um, in fact, I had a... a I didn't realize the importance of this, but I had a um, a lab back in college where we actually one of the steps in the lab book was like, place your fingers on the transistor and, you know, monitor its output or monitor the effects to the circuit while your hand is warming it up and like we had our circuit working and then we put our hands on the transistors and it just obliterated our our circuit (laughs) like stopped working entirely and it was like oh god this is awful but i I guess i didn't really realize the impact of it back in college i was like yeah okay heat makes it do things you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah In, in in my experience like with product design there's like there's a handful of phases you go through. The first phase is like get it working, and then, and that's usually more of the faster phase. And then the phases after yep. that is like get it always working, and that's the one that takes forever. <laughs> Especially when you get to temperature testing, because it's just like oh god, it takes so long.
0: One of my testing is uh, I'll take take the board and I'll throw it onto the uh, passenger seat in the Jeep and let it ride there for about a week or two. And then I'll power it up like, is it still working? Yeah, it's probably good then. <laughs> in Houston, yeah, because
1: it probably yeah. cooks at 140 all day yeah, heat
0: cycles it, ESD, you know, just living in the Jeep. Yeah. Yeah. Dog yeah, hair.
1: Uh, halt testing in the Jeep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and vibration going down the roads, right? Yep. Yeah. That's a good test yeah (laughs) Uh, i i worked at a place i may have mentioned this before maybe i don't know i worked at a place once where the engineering manager had something he called the newspaper test um and they had a problem god i don't remember when it was but they had a problem on in one of their devices a long time ago with tantalum capacitors catching on fire and um one of his solutions was to put the boards down on a table and put a newspaper on top of it and run the boards through like a huge variety of tests and if the newspaper doesn't catch on fire then it's probably safe and he actually did this test in front of the ceo of the company and he's like this is my newspaper test and the ceo was like cool we're good to ship (laughs) (laughs) it's probably safe it's probably safe yeah yeah if the newspaper doesn't catch on fire cool okay so um yeah check out that simulation on my github uh so I've also been putting a bit more work into my CNC, which... A bit? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Uh, I've been sending Parker pictures of stuff. So um, I got the entire base of the of the uh, table made, which is all made with 4x4s. Four and then over the last weekend, I built that torsion box, which I discussed in the last episode, which is all three-quarter MDF construction. And the torsion box is basically, it's a bottom skin of flat uh, MDF and then a matrix of interlocking vertically uh, cut MDF boards and then a second skin on top of that of three-quarter MDF. So the, this top torsion box probably weighs 200 pounds, and, uh, <laughs> but it's all glued and screwed together. And in basically the way I, I built it is such that, or I, I, di- I chose a torsion box because it resists warping and it resists um movement due to like changes in temperature and humidity and it's just and mdf in general is pretty damn flat so it makes like for a perfect top of the cnc so we'll post some pictures of this up in the um uh in the show notes that you can check out later so i've i've got my gantry on the uh on the table now and Last night I was actually playing with the Z axis carriage. I don't know mm-hmm. what is that. The, it's what's the name of that? Like gantry is the big thing that moves forward and backwards
0: in the yeah, X. Yeah, a carriage,
1: carriage or head or I don't know. I don't know what the official. Head. Name uh, you could
0: call it a head too. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the the one I have is not in fantastic shape. Uh, I so I'm I'm thinking about how to make some changes to it. In fact, I was kind of like you got to build a cnc machine to
0: cut parts to make this cnc
1: you know i trust me i've been thinking about that uh so uh, here's one of the things 3d printer thing i did buy a a new spindle for my cnc which is an 80 millimeter 2.2 kilowatt spindle like one of the big beefy guys and it came with uh i'm holding this up so parker can see it we'll we'll put some pictures of it but I've got this big, beefy aluminum mount for it, and it's great. However, the holes, the mounting holes for it, are actually not – they don't really interface very well with my carriage, my Z carriage. Mm -hmm. They sort of interfere with a bunch of things. Um, And the bolts that go into this thing are some, I don't even know, maybe 10-millimeter metric bolts. And uh, I don't know how exactly I'm gonna work that out, but I did find in my basement a chunk of 5.5 millimeter thick aluminum plate that was actually used for a previous project for the fab. That is oh yeah just that's about the right size for everything to fit. Is uh, it
0: 5.5 millimeters? Just quarter inch? Uh, that's
1: 6.35. You're about, a, you're about a millimeter off. I could just say a quarter of an inch. I think I was actually shooting for a quarter of an inch, but just to get this thing flat, I had to go down further because <laughs> it was a little bit warped. But it's great because this has already been flattened. So all I need to do is punch some holes in this. Um, so I think I'm going to use this piece of aluminum and make a like a secondary plate that the, that the actual spindle mount will connect to, and then this will get connected to my um, carriage. Adapter plate. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And it's it's just big enough that I can uh, do that pretty easily. So I think that's my next kind of step. One of the things, my gantry has never really been treated fantastic until recently. Like, it was always just like a beater CNC. Like
0: I, well, yeah, it was living in a somewhat en- overhang, enclosed environment. Like, yeah, yeah, that, it's,
1: a, a, it's a abusive uh, temperature, temperature changes. <laughs> yeah,
0: it'd be in in one year, it would be 120 or 100, 100 I had to be actually 120 in that building at one time. I would not be surprised. And then, you know, below freezing yeah, also. Yeah,
1: right. And, and I never really maintained it because it was never meant to be an accurate CNC. Like if it was within an eighth of an inch, I was happy. Uh, and that was fine for what it needed to do. Well,
0: it made cabinets.
1: Right. But I'm actually going for a bit more accuracy now, and it's in a temperature-controlled basement, and I'm trying to make it nice. The one thing that sucks is uh, one of the legs of the gantry is just ever so slightly warped. So I know that if I were to cut a square right now, I would get a trapezoid. So I've got to figure out a way to kind of get that warp out of it and um don't
0: you have a CNC at work
1: yeah I do I do and uh, in fact that's why I'm totally fine with cutting this plate aluminum in fact where do you think that I leveled this plate aluminum <laughs> <at>? <laughs> and like the thing that's beautiful about the CNC I have at work I can design and have this this plate cut I'm not even joking here probably 15 minutes uh, I can I can come up with the solution for this uh, in fact, I had uh, there was a guy at work, who, he he um, he came up to me this morning and he was like, "Hey, I've I've had this idea that I need to knock out a new panel for one of our products, but it needs to be a different form factor. It needs to fit horizontally as opposed to vertically. The logo needs to move on it, and a handful of hole patterns needs to change." I had it to him in like twenty minutes. Uh, just cause like the way that machine works is just like a handful of button presses and I've got everything modeled up in fusion 360. So if I need to change anything, it's just, it's no work whatsoever. So I'm really, really spoiled with that machine. Although get this, I ran into an issue that's super annoying, like super freaking annoying. Um, and I, I don't, I don't really know a good solution to it. I mean, I have a solution to it, but I don't like the solution we do a lot of engraving and chamfering on our products in fact every product gets both engraving and chamfering and the engraving bit that we use is a 0.1 millimeter tip engraver which is four thousandths of an inch so it's really sharp Um, and every time the machine goes to pick up the bit or any time it goes to put the bit away into the tool magazine it does a measurement of that i've been noticing recently that the engraving looks fine but it 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 looks slightly different than it has in the past and so i started putting them under the microscope and noticing that it's engraving deeper than Hmm. i'm asking it for so this machine auto compensates for any kind of bit length and i i scoured fusion 360 to make sure that i had all my z depth set right everything is correct so eventually after pulling my hair out for half a day i take a um a loop and i get right up on the tool changing position and look at it because i have tested so many tools i've actually dug a slight divot right into the center of my my tool um, measurement changer or uh, the tool post that's what they call it the tool post uh and that and that amount of divot that i've pushed into the tool post is about two to three thousandths deep it's not much at all but now that means all my engraving is two to three thousandths deeper than i want it to be
0: right Uh, i'm surprised you could see that it was two to three thousand deeper yeah no you could totally see
1: yeah it's and and here's the thing that's crazy so we use a lot of three uh two and three millimeter bits flat end mills they're not they're unaffected by that because it's it's the little divot in there is Only four thousandths wide and about two to three thousandths deep, so they're not affected. And that's why I'm pulling my hair out because I'm like, these other bits are cutting perfectly, but the engraver is not. So, I I had to figure out how to trick the machine into thinking that the tool uh, position is one millimeter away from where it was. And I just think that every three months or so, I'm going to have to say, oh, no, it's not there. It's over here, you know? Like, just move it around, (laughs) the tool thing, which is super annoying, but that's why I say, like, that's not a solution, but it is, you know? Like, it gets us making product right now. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you you handle that? Like, I guess you could make the tool post out of a ridiculously hard metal, and then it gets... Diamonds
0: are forever. Yeah,
1: it gets really expensive then, but also you don't want to damage your bit. (laughs) And, yeah. and it's a spring-loaded tool changing I mean it's not like I'm driving the bit into it at a thousand millimeters a second uh, so I just think it's sort of with any machine that you work with there's always so much nuance that you don't know about and you just find them out because something went wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah luckily like an extra thousand deep on this engraver or one to two thousand deep doesn't cause it to engrave poorly it just the lettering comes out a little bit shinier and it's enough mm-hmm. to like notice it be like eh, it's a little odd so the uh, the angle of the engraver is 15 degrees so it doesn't really add much to go with to it yeah
0: yeah
1: cool so um and then i've got one other thing that i've been uh, kind of hammering on um that Guitar preamp that I was working on at the end of last year, everything is working fine with that, but there was always one thing that kind of irked me a little bit. Uh, the, the the power supply situation that I put in there, I used two back-to-back transformers to go from, from mains voltage down to the heater voltage, which is 12.6, and then I took that 12.6 and I boosted it back up to high voltage. Uh, Which is, you know, it's an okay trick for what I was doing. I wouldn't do that in a production thing, but for building two of them, it's not a big deal. Um, But the transformers I used was a uh, 115 volt down to a 12.6. And then on the other end, I used a 12 volt to a 230 volt, kind of backwards to bring it back up. And if you do the math on that if you if you assuming like perfect efficiency and no issues with the transformer you get a ratio of 19.16 to go down to the uh to go up to the 230 volts and then if you put 12.6 volts into that ratio you should end up with somewhere around 341 volts DC. And if you take the normal like rule of thumb thing where you use 90% efficiency on a rectifier circuit you know, ninety percent efficiency still is over three hundred and some odd volts for that circuit. In reality, I'm getting two hundred and fifty. So, like, my efficiency, my efficiency is like sixty percent. It's awful. Yeah. It's yeah. so bad. And um, it was never, it was never intended to be like a specific, like I,
0: voltage. You just need, you need voltage. Yeah, I just yeah.
1: need voltage. But I want, but like two fifty is the edge of what I'm okay with. Uh, So I I purchased another transformer that is, it's the exact same footprint, exact same size transformer, but it has, instead of a 12 to 230 volt, it's a 10 to 230 volt. So it actually has a higher ratio. Um, And it actually also has a slightly higher current capability, which means that in this abusive way that I'm using it, it should handle that a little bit better. Uh, So... (laughs) I'm hoping so the difference of a 12 to 230 and a 10 to 230 will give me about if you just take the numbers you know straight up that's a 20% change. So I'm hoping that a 20% change on 250 volts will will net me 300 at the end of the day and 300 was sort of what I was shooting for somewhere around 300 but mm-hmm. 250 versus 300 is a huge loss uh, that I you know well i mean straight calculation told me 341 if i didn't take any any issues uh, or any um uh inefficiencies into account and so 341 and hitting 250 that's that's a pretty bad bullseye <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah the good thing is in order to yeah, bullseye the size of a barn sure. yeah exa- well i didn't even hit the barn i hit the hill that's behind the <laughs> barn uh but i mean the funny thing is I uh, so i i actually at one point in time i took the tra- the i took the whole power supply out of the equation and i plugged it into my variable high voltage power supply and i ran it from 250 all the way up to 400 volts and i didn't hear a lick of change uh in it so you know i'm sort of just doing this out of principle just because like it must be 300. (laughs) (laughs) uh so the the cool thing is since it's just a drop in all i have to do is just rip out the old transformer it's like a five minute job so that arrived today so i'll probably get it in sometime this week that'd be cool yep
0: so that's what i've been up to cool yeah so for for macrofab I think we talked about this a little bit last week is um, we're starting to do some webinars. And uh, so we have one uh, every Wednesday at two o'clock central time. So it's Texas standard time. Um, Link will be in the show notes. Um, I do one March 11th. I think it's March 11th. Yeah, March 11th is is when I do one. And I, I was looking, apparently April 1st also falls on... Uh, a Wednesday this year so I'm going to request that I get to do a webinar on April 1st
1: yeah nice (laughs) so
0: that's
1: cool do do you know what uh what is this week's topic
0: I think they are like the same topics um it's just going over the MacFive platform why is it useful stuff like that if you're a engineer or a purchasing manager
1: so, Parker, why
0: is the Macrofab?
1: Actually, no, no, no. We're not going to No, there. we're not doing We're, not, we're <laughs> not doing <that. laughs>
0: Cool. So, yeah, if you want to learn more about Macrofab's platform and how to use it, uh, tune in Wednesdays at 2 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Cool. So, um, I found this really cool sensor uh, for, on the uh, Fierce Electronics website, and it's a sweat sensor. And... Huh. As a, a, a Houstonian, we we I, I sweat a lot during the summer, so this caught my eye, and it's kind of interesting how it's working. Is it's designed to, or at least this one is designed to find stress hormones in your sweat, like so. It's cortisol. not just
1: like conductivity of liquid.
0: No, 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 no. It's it's looking for cortisol, uh, cortisol right?
1: Yeah, cortisol.
0: Yeah, and. So what it does is? It has a like a microscopic array on on the surface, so that it increases its surface area, and then it has a uh, an antibody on it that it's a basically it's a molecule that can bond with um, cortisol, hmm. and so that's how it detects this compound. Um, but I, I just found it interesting like how they were testing it is they basically had people run at, with the sensor attached to them, and so they can detect you know. When you start running, you make more cortisol. Um, if you dunk your hand in an ice water, basically, if you like shock your system, you start producing this this molecule.
1: So if you just step outside in Houston, like you shock your system, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they, they,
1: you know they, that's that is actually one of the nice things in Houston. The only time it's actually nice about being hot, like there's a lot of places that they have the air conditioning turned up or turned down so low that it's like absolutely freezing in their building and then you step outside and it feels really nice for like three seconds <laughs>
0: yeah, three seconds of bliss yeah <laughs> um but one thing i was thinking about when i was reading this article about the sensor was um it actually this reminded me of uh while i was going skiing was all my friends they have these like crazy uh smart watches that like monitor like your skiing so like it does like your heart rate but also does altitude and gps and all this other stuff so you it can figure out like where you're at on the mountain and stuff like that um but it also figures out like your heart rate and and uh your temperature and all that stuff and i'm like oh that would be cool if you had this kind of, i i'm gonna say we'll probably see more and more of these kind of sensors hmm. in those smart watches like monitoring you all the time
1: yeah but i guess I I mean I don't know the chemistry of things but if you if you have to impregnate this board with something eventually it'll deplete it right
0: Yeah but I mean if it lasts a couple of years that's how long a consumer product lasts for Yeah I guess so yeah Um one thing that was interesting about the uh uh about this so I was also thinking is I don't know if you've seen like the commercials for auto insurance where like you can plug something into your car and it like spies on you so you can get a lower rate. Yeah, that might happen with the smartwatches and your your health insurance.
1: Oh, jeez, that's that's Big Brother watching. Oh yeah,
0: this guy's got a lot of cortisol, you know, levels. So uh, he's stressed out all the time. So his rates are going to go up. He's more likely to have a heart attack.
1: Or or not? Yeah, get this like. You have uh, like uh, like like blood blood tests that you have to take on on the regular, or your insurance goes up. But if they detect, you know, uh, illicit substances in your blood, then it'll go up. Or if they if your LDL cholesterol is bad, then it goes up. Yeah, that's that's some Big Brother <laughs> stuff right there. I I'm not touching. Well, that.
0: that's that's you have to go to the doctor for them to take your blood. This is like. It's a watch that you're just wearing. It's like a you know how smart TVs why they're so cheap is because they're spying on you, mm-hmm. getting your your data for for ads so they can serve you ads on the TV that you bought. Whatever. Um, I'll never own a smart TV ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, think about that. Like your smart watch is selling the company that makes your smart watch is selling data to like your insurance company. Probably yeah. would not surprise Probably. me
1: joy in us
0: yeah we need some open source smartwatches Uh, uh,
1: we uh didn't macrofab make one of those
0: it was just a binary watch i'm talking about a smart like a watch that can monitor your heart and that kind of stuff no
1: i swear when i was there maybe we quoted one i can't remember there 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 was one that was happening gosh it was kind of early on um they they were trying to do an e-ink uh display on a on a smartwatch
0: Oh, I don't remember anymore. Yeah.
1: That was, gosh, that was five five years ago, something like that. Almost five. Yeah. All right. So uh, on our last topic, uh, it's kind of a weird deviation for me. But uh, I got a phone call just the other day from Autodesk uh, because I use Fusion 360 at work. And I guess my name was on the... Um, is who the subscriptions through but uh they they actually called and asked what eda tool i use and i told them DipTrace, and they're like well do you use eagle at all and i was like yeah occasionally if a customer needs us to and stuff um, but they were mentioning that autodesk is actually about to pour a boatload of money into eagle
0: uh, so that's an interesting thing that a salesperson would say.
1: It is. It is. I well, I mean, obviously they want to.
0: Meet it's like the people. salesperson's like, I know you don't like it because it's kind of shitty, but we're going to put a lot of money into it soon. Hey, then you hey, might like. I've it. got
1: my own shitty program to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So, but but honestly, like, if you see what if you go to Autodesk, it's really clear that they have a vision and a goal, and that they're like, this is are not only like our eda platform but this is our like whole ecosystem thing and a lot of times like i don't know google does a lot of that and it feels really hit and miss with google but autodesk is pretty good if you ask me at it like their stuff is really well organized and really well integrated so frankly i'm really curious to see um what they're going to do with eagle like this guy's saying you know the the next year or two is supposed to be like a lot of push with eagle and what yeah. i wonder about that is does that mean that they're just really trying to integrate eagle with everything else or are they trying to change eagle in some fundamental way
0: yeah it'd be interesting to see what they do um because i i use their uh fusion 360 and eagle like meld of minds kind of thing which is awesome um, yeah it's pretty good uh, i do like the fact that like you know you design your board and then you push it over to to autodesk and then you're like oh i need to move this connector because like there's a screw boss in the enclosure or or something like that you can move it and it'll actually push the change back to eagle yeah which is pretty pretty sweet um yeah that's that's awesome. really the only thing i've like it does <laughs> so i wonder if it, i wonder if it's going to be more meld of minds between the programs or is there going to be more Eagle features that, you know, like, was it lacking? I don't know.
1: I th- Electronics are so integrated nowadays that it's it's becoming more and more difficult to just design the electronics in their own bubble. Like, it's, it's less and less are you just seeing like a circuit board that has four mounting studs that goes on a wall somewhere, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it has to m- match up perfectly with your special 3d printed or not 3d printed your injection molded plastic enclosure and like how do you design those separately mm-hmm. uh, it's hard it's really hard um and it seems like autodesk is really this is not a <laughs> like a sales thing for autodesk at all but i i realize it's starting to sound that way uh but no i just i the integration thing i think is super freaking cool um and you know it's it's one of those things where like if eagle had a different user interface i'd be all over that right now i would be i'd be like the standard bear flag waving on for them right now more than i already am
0: <laughs> i guess we need to see if we can get a hey autodesk if you're listening out there come on our podcast
1: there is there is an autodesk um uh location out here in denver um and i think they mainly just do sales there but i might i might reach out and see if autodesk wants to spill the beans on their eagle future
0: yeah that'd be cool maybe you can get your 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 interface change
1: (laughs) what one copy one special
0: copy if you you go you go to preferences drop down menu layout and then they'll have a steven radio button that you can click yeah
1: ah I'd be so in on that. I I'd, I'd subscribe tomorrow. So
0: what 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 would the be the change? Um hmm. If you could just pick one. I know there's probably more than one. If
1: I could pick
0: one. Ah, if it easy. worked like dip trace. Easy. No, no, no,
1: no, no. <laughs> easy. Easy, easy, easy. Um make the left mouse button work like any other sane regular red-blooded human being program that windows does like it left selects and make it such that if i click and hold down i can drag a box around things and select things just like any other regular program does you don't have to be special and unique that way just make it you know make make eagle work like a a drawing program not a drafting program that's the change i guess i would say hmm yeah
0: so we're disagree on that one, but
1: <laughs> you asked me one change and that, that's yeah, that yeah, yeah. I can, I can do uh, Eagle. I have to do it all the time at work. I can do it. It's just like, I have to rearrange my brain and to be like, okay, well, you know, these certain actions that work in every other freaking program don't work in Eagle. I have to think about it a different way.
0: Well, cool. Yeah. Well, brain broke there for a second. Um, yeah, maybe we'll have a a drawing mode. That we call it the MS Paint edition.
1: I've designed a board and Paint before, <laughs> and
0: it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about that before. Yeah, we have. Um, back that way, back in the day, like how we started building boards. Yep. Or designing boards. So, anyways, let's let's wrap this up. We're almost at an hour. Cool.
1: That was the MacGuffin Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig.
0: And Parker Dillman. Take
1: it easy. Later, everyone.